In every job that must be done, there is an element of fun. Fun, 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 fun. Light speed to the wondrous and wonderful. Cover is not the book, so open it up and take a look. Ah, if it isn't the only bookworm in town. What's that word again? Inspired. I have to sing. I have to play. The music, it's, it's not just in me. It is me. We're happier when you don't sing. Welcome to Notably Disney your ultimate podcast covering Disney music and books. I'm Brett Nackman, your host. Here we dig a little deeper and explore the great wide somewhere about everything under the Walt Disney Company umbrella as it pertains to tunes and writing, from the theme parks and television screens to the Broadway stage and the silver screen, if it relates to anything Disney songs, soundtracks, books, articles, or other things that you can listen to, or read about involving Disney, we'll examine it here. As many of you know on Notably Disney, I love music. That's really why I have it as a central theme regarding the topics that we discuss on most, if not all, episodes, alternating with books too, of course, and, and good reading materials. But the notion of being encapsulated in an environment is what Disney is really known for, particularly in its theme park settings. So I've long wanted to talk about the notion of attraction cue music, that background music, sometimes it's instrumentals, sometimes it's familiar songs that you hear very, sometimes very quietly, other times quite saliently as you are pacing through those cues. So I have wanted to explore this and, and now is a really good opportunity to be transported back to the Disney theme parks. I recognize this is a time right now where we are missing being in the park, so any way in which we can virtually experience it is general, is just such a pleasure. So I am going to be bringing on podcaster Dan Heaton. You know him from the fantastic Tomorrow Society podcast. We're going to talk about some of our favorite attraction cue music and even a few that are in the past but not forgotten by any means. So let's get to that interview. With around 100 episodes under his belt, Dan Heaton hosts the popular The Tomorrow Society podcast, which centers on the legacy of Disney theme parks, theme parks more broadly, covers a wide variety of interesting topics, uh, including optimism and futurism, sometimes factoring into the mix. Uh, there's interviews with Disney Imagineers, writers, artists, and a plethora of familiar Disney-related personalities. Dan delivers engaging dialogues on everything from design to preservation. It's always a learning experience, and the great guests add to the enjoyment. Since Dan knows a lot about Disney theme parks and Walt Disney World in particular, uh, really glad to bring him on this evening as we listen ever so closely to the environments we creep through as we await boarding attractions. 
So let's keep our ears open and let ourselves become immersed in the cue music of Walt Disney World attractions. So without any further ado, welcome to Notably Disney, Dan. Oh, hello. Thank you for that introduction. That's that's a great intro. I, I hope I can live up to that. Oh, I have no doubt. Um, I've As we were talking before we were recording, just discussing some of the great guests you've had on over recent months, I was listening to the episode with Skipper Ben, who used to be on Inside the Magic, so that felt like a time travel experience. You bring on a lot of interesting people. Could you tell our listeners a little bit more about the Tomorrow Society? Sure, yeah. So I started it a little over four years ago, and there's so many good shows about news out there and people that live in Orlando or Anaheim. I live in St. Louis, so I'm not somebody who's going to be in the parks all the time. But I thought, you know, I have a journalism background. I thought, well, it'd be fun to do an interview show, kind of similar to a lot of shows that are not about Disney that I was interested in, whether it's Fresh Air, NPR, Mark Marin, whatever, and just be interested in doing that, but for theme parks. And so I started out kind of saying, oh, I'm going to talk to authors and filmmakers, kind of people that cover the parks. And I still do that, like you mentioned, like podcasters like Skipper Ben and others. And then also just kind of slowly started getting to talk to people that work for Disney, especially as more people have retired from Disney, former Imagineers or composers that work with them or sound designers or just a lot of cool people. And that's kind of the way I summarize the show is just like, I talk to smart people about theme parks. You know, I just try to find a variety of people, whether if they work for Disney or not, that I find interesting, that I think would be fun to talk with. Like a lot of it is just me getting a chance to talk to people that I think would be cool to talk with. It's like, oh yeah, we're doing a podcast too. So it's been really fun and I'm thrilled by the people I've been able to talk with and humbled by it because I never would have expected it when it started, but it's it's a, just a fun one-on-one interview show, mostly with people that love theme parks or maybe work for them. That's fantastic. And yeah, I kind of echo your sentiments, too. That's kind of the foundation of Notably Disney more with the music and book focus. But nonetheless, like yourself, talking with interesting people who are connoisseurs of Disney or have maybe produced um, interesting material related to the company and it's really thrilling. <laughs> it's it, interesting you mentioned your journalism background. That was my foundation too. And I feel like this is, you know, podcasting is such a wonderful avenue for channeling those skills and experiences, but in a very particular way and related to content that we mutually enjoy. Yeah. I mean, I also, I had like a college radio show. So, I mean, I should have known now my, my work work is more like a business job. So this is kind of a way to use some of those things. I should have known that that was something I probably should have done more of. But yeah, I think there's definitely crossover between the two of our shows. I know you talked to Aaron Wallace, who've been on my show and and Matt Parrish. And so there's some people that there's probably going to be more crossover as both of us go in the future. So it's awesome to talk with you. Oh, well, likewise. And um, and we're talking about um, interesting musicians and composers that have been on Tomorrow Society, like Bruce Broughton, who's the composer of uh, many scores that we have uh, experienced at the Disney theme parks, it's possible that they might surface um, in the discussion or others um, as well. So when, when I want to bring you on, Dan, I was kind of thinking of like different topics that would be really interesting that I've wanted to explore and um, thinking of uh, topics that might appeal to you as well. So the, the notion of exploring Walt Disney World attraction cue music had emerged uh, in my head, and 
because I think about it from the standpoint of when we visit Walt Disney World, and it's worth noting too that we are recording in early April and we're, we're still very much in the midst of um, COVID-19 outbreak and um, the parks having been closed for a number of weeks and it's still uncertain when um, they will reopen again. But what's so important about Walt Disney World in the form of escapism is that you're totally transported to unique places. And often that begins not even when you first board a ride, but rather the from the moment that you actually step into the queue. So that was kind of the context behind uh, bringing you on tonight and really engaging in a deep dive of music that is illustrative of the attractions we love and really putting us in the proper mood. Yeah, and it kind of threw me for a loop a bit because, you know, at first you start to think about it and you're thinking about, oh, here's all the music I like from an attraction or area music. And I'm like, wait, okay, let me really think about the cues. Because if there's always a few that jump in your head right away, but then it's like, like you said, it's one of those things where I think, well, what is like, you know, it's not just, oh, it's a catchy tune or, oh, it's something we know. It's like, what is it, role is it serving? And I tried to think about that in terms of, when I was going through, because there are areas of parks that I love that have amazing music, but that isn't really the cues of the rides. And it's interesting to me how it actually narrows pretty quickly to kind of a really strong group, but there's not like 35 great choices. It actually is kind of narrow. Yeah, you're absolutely right about that. And I was having that same issue and really disaggregating the area music, area loop music versus cue music, because um, those are often the scores that I um, listen to as much as even just cue music. And you're right, there's not a, a vast selection, and we see it being even more limited depending on even the park that you're in in Walt Disney World. Yeah, totally. Like, I love, and I don't want to give away too much, but I love Disney's Animal Kingdom. But a lot of it, what I love is just walking around the park. So that's almost like an entirely different podcast, really. Yeah, exactly. It makes it really interesting. And we are focused on attractions today. We're going to f- focus on primarily on attractions that are still operating in the parks. Uh, we're going to take a kind of a peek into the past with some extinct attraction key music as well and um, some various picks across the Walt Disney World theme park. So it's worth noting, too, uh, before we get started, that we did not exchange notes with one another regarding our selections. So it's going to be an interesting reveal to see if there are some overlaps or or selections that we may not have even thought of. So are you ready to get started? Yes, I can start with my first selection if that works for you. Yeah, go right ahead, Dan. Okay, I would be shocked too if there is no crossover because I mean, not that I expect it to be the same, but that would that would amaze me. You would have come up with some that did not even cross my view. Okay, so my first one is going over to the Disney's Hollywood Studios is the Twilight Zone Tower of Terror. Because really, even beyond just the music, that cue is amazing. I mean, even just walking up to that building, you're like almost immersed in it before you even get in the queue. You're seeing the tower is just so iconic and amazing. And then you walk up and just going through that queue, just it immediately transports you back to this 1930s era abandoned hotel where you're basically walking through it. And the music does such a good job. I was actually listening to the queue recently and they have all these, it's just like a selection of these kind of early jazz songs from the 1930s, 
But what I found so interesting is it's like even the way that it's presented, it's kind of like not entirely clear. It's a little fuzzy. It's almost like if you think of like a TV show when they travel back in time, it's like you're getting this glimpse at this time period with this music. It's actually a little creepy. And I think the whole queue, too, like I often use fast passes for that, so I don't even see it. But when you really look, I was in the queue last year and I turned around. And there was this really creepy statue in there. And it's like, where did that even come from? And I think that the music itself just adds to that because it's just like a lot of standards kind of from that era, but it's fits and makes it creepy and it makes you right away. You're not thinking, oh, yeah, after this, we're going to go have a burger or, oh, we got to do this or we have this. You're thinking like I am in this hotel and I, something unsettling may happen very soon. I couldn't agree with you more. I think you you pick up on a lot of appropriate points there in terms of the chilling renditions of the songs with that crackling um, sound. And I feel like at times it's just there's a bit of an echo that lingers on that's probably more pronounced because of the the mood of the environment. Tower of Terror is on my list as well. And I had uh, some <laughs> of the same comments as you, but... It, it's also really cool, especially when you actually look up the the key music later on YouTube or other platforms, and just to see the number of really notable performers um, whose pieces of work, most of them um, in jazz, are on display here. You have Johnny Hodges and Sidney Bechet and a number of others. It's really an incredible lineup. Yeah, I mean, even there's like We'll Meet Again, which is a song that's really hung on for a while, but it, it doesn't sound the same. It kind of seems a little creepier. And I, I think, yeah, you bring it up, the fact that it just there's this weird kind of echo that I was getting at where it's songs that you've probably some of them you've heard before. But in this setting, they seem entirely different than if you were sitting in your house or riding in a car or something because you're that's so ominous going in there. And I think that's so well done. And later on, when you, after you go through the library, when you get in the boiler room, there's not really much music, but again, there's all these ambient sounds and noises that are there that just adds to it even more. You hear the elevator, you hear the crackling of like the, the boilers. And I think the whole, the whole way they went through this and set it up that Imagineers did. I mean, it's masterful. I appreciate the, I think I appreciate the tower more now than I ever did because beyond just the drop, which is awesome, it's just there's so much let, that leads up to it. The whole experience is great. It's it's so incredibly immersive, and I, I feel like we're because uh, I uh, prior to um, recording, I had composed some notes related to my thoughts, and I, I basically have a line here that echoes exactly what you said. Not quite music, but I also love the booms and crackles in the boiler room. <laughs> so. <laughs> Because, um, yeah, that ambient sound, it's not quite a musical score, but it's an extension of that, right? Because ultimately you have a whole package here. You have the different rooms of the hotel leading up to the elevator shaft, and it all creates this package of something that has the same sentiment but is and is very transportive in the process. Well, awesome. Yeah, I I want to go write it right now. <laughs> but um, it's one of those I'm really happy it survived in its original form for the most part. And I, I get very nervous when they talk about replacing the Florida version because it's just from start to finish, it's so much more than just a drop tower. Absolutely. I was thinking in in terms of the lineup of songs that we hear slightly different 
renditions to, or at least in terms of its presentation, it sounds like it's just coming off of an old radio. Would you say that there's a favorite piece in the mix um, in the cue music that you really absolutely love? I wish I could recall it better and I had it in front of me. So I don't have a great example for me. Like I even listened to it yesterday. I went through the whole hour, but I would say more. It's, it's so, I, that's kind of what I was getting at. It's so atmospheric in a way that the songs almost Mm. roll into each other. Like when I saw the list, I went, Oh wow. Like I wouldn't even think so. Like when you're listening to it, I feel like the way that they kind of, it's not like there's a stop and then it's like there's a DJ that says that was this and it moves on. It's very like they almost come together and feel like one long piece. And I know I'm kind of dodging your question, but I feel like I feel like there's not really a single song. It's more just the overall mood of it. It's very different than a lot of other kind of cue music. That's almost more like a playlist. You know, that's a really fair point. And, and I think that's, What's really cool about it, too, in terms of the the folks who actually curated it and thinking of how how are you going to piece all of these together and that it comes across as seamless. Obviously, if you're if one is familiar enough with the the tunes, you can pull them out. Um, Mind you, a number of pieces, too, are by the same performers, like there's several Johnny Hodges pieces. But, um, yeah, I think that's a really good point because it it just feels like a, a wonderful package i can't think of a better word but it 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 does blend nicely yeah so i'd love to hear if we're ready i'd love to hear your first choice sure well i'll consider that my first choice too because that was on my list but (laughs) um i'll say what my second choice is and it's possible that it could be on your list who knows i'm gonna stay in disney's hollywood studios too and give some love to an attraction that I guess it's now about 28 years old, so not quite from the inception of the park, but it feels like it's been there practically forever, and that's Muppet Vision 3D. Or should I say Jim Henson's Muppet Vision 3D? This is, I've always loved the characters, and the show, for me, it, it hasn't uh, lost its luster over time. It's incredibly funny and witty, and of course, given that this is a Muppets attraction, uh, the cue music, features a number of tunes from Muppets projects from the 70s and 80s in instrumental form, so not necessarily with the lyrics, but um, it's what's cool about it, what I love about it is that it feels like like a Muppet version of Main Street. So there's a lot of big band vibes and jazziness in, in the tunes inherently, and then when you're just listening to them instrumentally and based on how they're arranged, it really comes off uh, very just bombastically and it's exciting um so i can definitely talk more but um it's about a 30 minute loop and even though you're not necessarily going to be hearing it as explicitly unless you're waiting in a really long line typically most folks can just enter the the pre-show area just fine and and watch the the fun video but in terms of the overall score of the the cube music I, I really have always appreciated that. And even if I'm not in the park and haven't been there in a little while, but I, I love listening to the Muppet tunes in instrumental form. You know, that's interesting. I Right when you started to Hollywood Studios, I was like, what is he going to pick? And then I was like, oh, yeah. So I totally, I didn't even, I mean, this is nothing against the pick. I think it's a great choice. I just, my brain skipped right over it. Because again, I wasn't thinking in terms of, of course, the Muppets. It has a great score. I can hear it in my head now, the music that plays as you're like heading through each the pre-show and then as you go into the main 
um, main movie. But that's that's a cool choice, especially given that, you know, I think there's an interesting kind of through line with a lot of the picks. I mean, they're not all from the exact same time period, but I mean, obviously Muppets and Tower are not that far apart because Tower was 94. Muppets was a little bit earlier. But I think there is some sort of um, trend to just the focus on music. I say this, my next pick is from a lot more recently, but in general, just having that real attention to kind of think about that. And the Muppets are a perfect example where all of their movies have, well, going back to Rainbow Connection and so many others in the Muppet Show have memorable songs. So I think that's an inspired choice. I'm glad I didn't think of it because um, I'm impressed that you did. Hey, it's, you know, it's a lot of fun. And, you know, when I need a pep in my step, I just put on that loop um for the cue music and like listening to happiness hotel or hey a movie like these songs from films that are 35 40 years old they're they're still not that necessarily that they're timely or that you would hear them in a modern feature but there's a certain timelessness and comfort in listening to them especially based on how they're arranged so it's it's a lot of fun um and i also want to add to dan because you know, you made some really good points in terms of like thinking back to Tower of Terror and how the boiler room is kind of an extension of the main queue area. I would say that the queue music doesn't necessarily end with this loop. There's, if we think about it collectively, the pre-show video has instrumental music too and songs. And I love the pre-show. And I was thinking, you know, there's Gonzo dancing with the flower pot on his head. So that's, you know, tea for two. Um, you have, you have Dorothy, Dinah and Max singing by the, by the light of the <laughs> silvery moon. That's what I just the thought of. Piece. I was trying to think of that in my head was the, by the lab. <laughs> so good. <laughs> well, I always just think I'm Dinah, like just the, the pronunciation. It's just, and I'm Max Dorothy. Uh, somebody was sick. So the union sent me, right? <laughs> so, it's just great. So we get like these little um, classic uh, American tunes in the background, um, just leading up to the main attraction. And then you have, you know, Sam the Eagle offering his safety announcements. And there's a very militaristic, patriotic instrumental theme where he's going to introduce Mickey Mouse, otherwise known as Reserve the Rat. So we get a lot of different music, even outside of the instrumental compositions of the classic Muppet songs. So... Yeah, it's that whole pre-show is um is real is brilliant. Um, when they had it kind of replaced a little bit by Constantine from Muppets Most Wanted, I was like, oh, don't do it. It's so good. Or the worst is when you come in and you just like I hate to say it, it's one of those pre-shows that actually I don't mind waiting because you don't you go right through it. You almost feel like you didn't see the whole attraction. Like if you time it a certain way, so it's a rare like. I would, it's almost like unfair to call it a pre-show because it's like it's as some ways almost as funny or entertaining as the actual movie itself. And that music is a big part of it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I love it. It's, you know, obviously there's been concerns over recent years. Will Muppet Vision 3D live on in the next phase of Disney's Hollywood studios? And I feel like it, it totally epitomizes what the park has represented in, in terms of being kind of a funny take on Hollywood, um, or at least what the original conception of the park was. And there's you know, great music and characters and atmosphere. Like there's tons of 
terribly funny gags in the queue itself. So um, lots of puns. So it's just a fun experience overall. And yeah, ultimately, it's not just the 3D theater. That's the full experience. There's an extension of it via um, the outside queue and ultimately the the pre-show. Yeah, I hope it survives. I got it got a lot of people got nervous with two things with Galaxy's Edge, but also the fact that it's gone in California, which I know that was like a secondary thing to it. But still, it gets a little nerve wracking. And it's just given that in the Muppets, too, um, I know there's talk about they're going to do a new show and everything, but a lot of that's been delayed. It's one of those things where I kind of hope that the Muppets can again kind of hit somewhere, which would then help that show. And it's also too bad that. You know, um, Jim Henson, before he passed away, and um, there were a lot of plans to do a lot more Muppets things in the Hollywood, in the MGM studios at the time. And um, we got Muppet Vision 3D, but man, there could have been some really cool things at that park. Yeah. Now, when I listen to some of those um, episodes of different podcasts where they preview what would have been, it just makes me sad inside because... The Muppets have not been leveraged nearly as much as they could. Um, But, hey, at least we we have Muppet Vision 3D. So how about we shift over to your next selection? Sure. And the next one, this is one that I don't hear as much talk about. So I'm not thinking it's totally off the wall, but I'm not sure it's going to be on your list. And that is Test Track 2.0. And I'm not a fan, really, of the first Test Track's music. I liked the first Test Track. I thought it was funny. But the music, it was this very, like, um, and it had, like, the car yeah. sounds. And it was, I mean, it. I listened to it today again, and I was like, this is very 1998 or 1996. This is very from that time. But what I really like about the new version, and we can talk, you know, we can talk a bit about how the designing the car and how the Tron thing doesn't totally all work perfectly, but the music, which is done by Paul Leonard Morgan, who's a composer who actually right now, the show Tales from the Loop, which is on Amazon streaming, he is one of the two composers for that, and the, the score is all over that show. But he's also composed the music for the movie Dread, for the movie Limitless, so and a lot of other shows, but like the sci-fi kind of Dread especially, um, the remake, not Judge Dredd with, with Sylvester Stallone. Um, they, um, the sci-fi aspects of it, he's so strong in that. And I'm a little selfishly saying this because I talked to him on the podcast about it. But after the thing is, is that I feel like that score, and you can hear that score from way outside of the pavilion. This is not one that's just in the pre-show. It really blares out from the whole pavilion. And then as you go through, it's got this kind of driving... And it also feels very timeless. It's not something that I feel like does feel dated. It fits with that like futuristic approach of Test Track 2.0. And also, to me, it has a lot in common with kind of some of my favorite early Epcot Center, like the Innoventions Loop or some of the like cues that we talked about background music briefly. Like it feels almost like it would fit in future world in the 1980s or 90s it doesn't but it doesn't feel like it's stuck there i think that the music drives that entire attraction where when you're going through it you're feeling like this fits with future world still called that right now and with the approach they were taking with this new test track and his score and his style from all the other scores i've heard him do 
Like he was the perfect choice and coming an outsider, he did a few things for like some Tron stuff in Shanghai, but has not done much at all with Disney. Doesn't really have that Disney sound. And that makes the score sound really different than most of the other things you hear from like the composers that do a lot of things for Disney. Yeah, those are all really good points. And I, I like that you highlighted some of his other work too to point listeners in, in those directions. It, I'm thinking about it, Dan. The, the loop is probably what, maybe 20 minutes, some, somewhere thereabouts? I think so. I mean, I think it's maybe up to a half hour, but it's, it's, um, even he talked about it where it's like, is a similar kind of driving theme that goes throughout it. So it's very different than like some of the other ones we've talked about, which have kind of different songs as they go through. Oh, it's yeah. really almost like a single theme, but it, the loop itself, like if you, I, it's one of those where I think if you played it on repeat, you wouldn't be able to tell where it ended and where it began. It would just kind of, it kind of rolls through it. And I think that's good, especially um, if you do end up in that line for a long time. <laughs> you're not like all of a sudden it's like the same thing over and over. It just kind of feels like this ethereal kind of atmospheric music. Yeah, no. And that's a really good point. There's that distinction. And yeah, I, I, I could imagine if, you know, for some reason, although I couldn't imagine based on the layout of it, but with tower of terror, if you, you, you know, you could be there long enough to hear the, a certain song twice, whereas this, it would be um, more just, you know, in the background and you pick it up pick up on it but it, it wouldn't feel like oh I've, I've heard that theme four times already uh it's I, i've enjoyed it too it's um listening to it, it it feels like it it fits in very um very neatly into future world and i can think of some other um, selections that might not um be as cohesive in terms of um representing you know that classic epcot but i feel like it has that hint of what Epcot used to be in its earlier days and also just that contemporary edge and thank goodness it it um you know the the score for the queue changed with with the makeover to the attraction if it had maintained that very choppy uh late 90s <laughs> vibe uh that would not have been as a, a tight an experience from beginning to end yeah i i was there last fall and i remember i came out of test track walked about a hundred feet or so. And there was this DJ stage that was playing like some dance party with like stitch. And I was like, okay, this is taking me out of the mood a little bit. I'm going to turn around and go back. So future world itself, <laughs> a little more disjointed, but I really appreciate at least when you're in that test track area, especially at night and you can hear the car zooming around and that music, it really sets the mood well of that. And that it makes that area really vibrant, which that side of future world right now with um, no energy and the mission space being what it is, it really needs that because it's like holding down the fort over there for the moment. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you, you included this in your list. I did not, but I was, I was definitely thinking about it as one that's very easy to listen to. And um, like, I think all of the, the pieces that we have and will continue to talk about they, they instantly take you to the environment, um, and that's what they're supposed to accomplish. You, you know, if you're hearing it, that you are in a particular space in a particular moment. Totally, yeah. So um, so I'd love to hear your next one if we're good. Yes. Yeah, so I kind of want to stay on the theme of faster attractions. And mind you, my selection is not um, nearly as high speed as Test Track, but it's one that I feel like accomplishes the mission of immersing yourself to a, a very 
distant place, and, and that is Space Mountain at Ma Magic Kingdom, of course. I, I can listen to the Star Tunnel music endlessly, um, other pieces of the score in, in different parts of the queue are just part of my being because I've listened to them so much over the years and in different contexts. There's a there's a almost limitlessness to um, to to some of the pieces. Um, I think of there's like a certain uh, part of the queue where it's like a, a third tunnel and it there's like these you know corridors with the windows looking into the cosmos and um, that kind of complements the the music and the notion of that you know space is endless and um, some of the music is very cyclical and peaceful and bright. I think of the star tunnel music and it's like a good night lullaby in, in certain ways. It's very wistful and ethereal. Um, there's a previous episode of Notably Disney where um, Matt Parrish and I talked about emotional Walt Disney World music and I find um, a lot of this to be very calming and relaxing and um, just so many aspects of Space Mountain's cue music over the years has really represented the uh, the quintessence, I would say, of of what a cue should accomplish in terms of taking you to that place, getting you ready for the attraction. There's this duality between the the quietness of the star tunnel and the high speed nature of the attraction, but it all um, tells the story of of going on a high speed, thrilling chase in the cosmos. Oh yeah, that was on my list for sure. That's that's one of the first things I even thought of when I was thinking about cue music because I feel like it's so interesting too because you could design this attraction and try to pump us up for it and do like rock music. Well, they they have done that a little bit with some of the the tracks that they've used in California, but you could really try to kind of amp us up and make this like, this is cool and it's a thrill ride. And instead they do something completely different and they do it where it's basically, they relax you. And it's like you said, the emotional comment, it's so calming to go through. And it's just that like, well, obviously the star part, I even love when you ride the people mover and you hear that little bit of that star yes. tunnel music. And I'm like, I just want to hang out here for a while. Can we get stuck? That's okay. Um, but it's basically just walking through that area like it builds up so well. And there's those other parts that are like, do, 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 like that whole part too. It's, uh -huh. it's very 19. Well, it's, I didn't go in the seventies, but 1980s for me. And just, but I mean that in a positive way, like the very, like again, Tomorrowland felt like in the eighties and, or even future world, that idea that you're just like, you're traveling somewhere else. It's cool, but it's also like, serene in a way and coming out of like the hot Florida sun and everything else and crowds. And sometimes, you know, you're waiting in that line even to get into space mountain itself. And then you come through that and you're like, Oh, things are good. You know, we can, we don't need to rush to the ride. We can, we can be here. This is cool. And I think the fact that plays a big role because you know, the attraction is cool, but it's one of those things where it's, the whole experience, because if you took that track and put it outside and didn't have the queue and didn't have the whole, the outside and the whole thing, the track is very simple. I mean, it, it seems fast because you're indoors and it, it right. makes, you know, but I think all the elements like the music, like the entire setup, the effects, they are what lifts that to new heights where to me, it's my favorite. Even, even though I think Disneyland's is a better ride it's still my favorite coaster at Walt Disney World, and the, the music plays a big role in it. 
Yeah, well, yeah, great minds definitely think alike with the selections. And um, yeah, I, I love how you pointed out and, and kind of illustrate an example of, of what some of the music sounds like. What I was thinking of, um, and maybe you might agree, it kind of, at least that particular cue where it's, it's not the star tunnel music, of course, but there's, you know, it's kind of like old school contemporary, like it almost makes me think of like elevator music or mall music, not necessarily uh, the, not necessarily the music that would get you totally irritated if you listened to it endlessly, but it has some of that flair. Um, I, I really dig that. Yeah, totally. I, t I get it. And I think about, um, you know, I don't know all the composers that wrote every part of the music, but I know George Wilkins was involved and George Wilkins also was involved with Horizons. And you're talking right. about emotional music cues that that is another one. And I'm kind of um, jumping on what I was going to say later and I'll talk about it more later. But just in general, that idea of just feeling so like like it's almost like they talk about the architecture of reassurance. It's like the sounds of that are reassuring to you and you know i know that i normally wouldn't put that together with elevator music but good music that's played in places like malls and elevators and stuff good meaning good for the area makes you feel really calm and doesn't make you feel crazy and that's totally what this does too yeah yeah and that's kind of what the the comment was meant to illustrate that it, it feels like it's in that type of space but um, no, no pun intended. I, I, I was I was going <laughs> to chime in with when you said when you're talking about test track and you said that they're really driving you to feel this way. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's totally appropriate given test track. But um, with, with Space Mountain, I even think of portions of the queue where you hear these horns, but they're played out over very long stretches. And it kind of reinforces that narrative of that you're out in the cosmos and it's just kind of like this. Um, this endlessness and the music perpetuates that in a very intentional way and it kind of also reinforces that um, calming element that we were both talking about earlier so it's it's cyclical there's really not necessarily a beginning to end beginning or end but it it just just takes you to a, a wonderful place of mind and 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 space and I just love it Oh, yeah, I could I could just rave about this for a while because I feel like I mean, you see a lot of attractions that have a certain level of popularity and then they kind of find their comfort zone in terms of wait times and interest and everything. And I feel like Space Mountain, um, like the Haunted Mansion, those are the two big examples. Space Mountain is just like at least in terms of weights and whatever. It's pretty much to me now the most popular ride at the Magic Kingdom, at least from what I've seen recently when I've gone and I think it's because it has that all the elements we mentioned, it feels so classic. It I know it, it you know, it opened in the 70s, but it doesn't automatically feel like, oh, this was created in this time. It just feels kind of like its own thing. Like it doesn't like it came like somebody just took the whole thing and dropped it on the ground and everything and the music and everything just kind of came with it. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. And uh, what a testament to space mountains enduring popularity that in being around for where, where are we now like 45 years in that it's still such a draw and the, and the music um much of the key music has remained since um you know decades ago it's it's wonderful so um yeah dan are we ready to blast off to your next selection 
Yeah, my next selection is kind of in a similar mold where it's it's one of those where people are going to kind of slap their head and say, well, duh. So I don't think this is going to be a shock to anyone. It's kind of fitting with another classic that I feel like is still super popular, and that is Pirates of the Caribbean, mm. which I think the attraction itself, I feel like the California version is much better. But the music and the cue in Florida are great. Actually, the queue is better in Florida. The whole setup where you basically go from the outside with the big fort. And I remember, especially as a kid, because pre-Fast Pass, everything else, you would wait in this line for sometimes, I mean, not for hours, but we spent a lot of time in that queue. So you'd fi- you'd be standing there and you're looking over like, what's coming around the corner? Oh, there's this cannon. And of course, the two skeletons playing chess. And part of what makes that whole experience, it's like, they're setting you up really well. That's where I think that some of the best Disney attractions, whether it's Pirates, Big Thunder, Expedition Everest, they set you up for like you're going on this adventure and everything's kind of pushing you to this. Well, it's an adventure land, so I guess it makes sense. But basically this idea, the music does this, where you have this music. I mean, the, the actual theme, of course, but then the music that's playing that is more just like there's like the flute sound and then basically just like they call it the pirates overture that's playing as you wind through this fort and get closer it sets the stage so well well before setting aside the movie entirely just like that music that they play that um as you're walking through is still does a really good job of setting the stage for kind of an adventure ride where you're going again outside of whatever's going on for you outside of this attraction. Yeah. And I I love that you kind of talked about just the environment of the queue itself. It's I I love this kind of the Spanish fort style and it's such a, such a contrast to being in new Orleans square at Disneyland. And um, yeah, I think it's worth really highlighting to George, George Bruns, who is such a, a foundational part of the Disney music library in the fifties and sixties. And um, his work is on such wonderful display. Um, you know, you, you mentioned like, I think the, the flutes and the clarinets, and then you know, there's some percussion in the background too. It's just, there's nothing more to say than it's a classic. I don't have it on my list just because I, I, I wanted to um, highlight a couple, a few other pieces. My gosh, what a, what a fantastic pick. Yeah, I'd call it almost deceptively simple to the yes. music from, from George Bruns, where it's like, really, if you think about it, I mean, there's a little bit of drums, there's a little bit of, you know, I'm not going to try. I, I feel like I've been doing too much of just kind of humming the music for you here. But but basically, it's very simple theme, and that's what makes it so good, because it's not trying to do too much. But again, it's kind of, I mean, not in the same way Test Track's driving you forward, but it's still, it's kind of raising your interest. We're like, Oh, I think we're in store for something pretty cool. If if you never knew what pirates was, if you went through that fort, saw the the various supplies and everything there, and the skeletons, everything, and then walked down that little, you turn around the corner and you kind of walk down to the loading platform, you'd be like, "Wow, this is going to be a fun thing." And so much of it is coming from that music. Couldn't have said it better myself. When when you think of Disney theme park, there are usually a few attractions that come to mind, and we we think of you know the the characters. Or, or certain fun moments in the attraction. But if it's an effective cue, it really threads every, everything together. And in terms of the environment, it accomplishes that. And, and what you're saying too, on the music front, um, it's 
I, I love the notion of deceptively simple. And, that, and that's what I think was also a trademark of the Sherman brothers, too, even though they had playful lyrics, ultimately, the melodies were very easy to hum. This isn't Sherman brothers, of course, but um, they were all kind of in that same vein. So it's, you know, seminal Disney. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's the thing. Like I, I got like a, I barely play piano, but I got like a piano book at home. That's like all these different songs and you watch, you see some of the uh, Sherman brothers songs and it's just like, you're hitting the same note over and over again, or you're barely moving your fingers. And it's great to play when you're not very good. But the point is that it's, it's again, deceptively simple where it's like, um, yes, there's more to it if you were playing every finger and everything. But the idea being the melody itself and the lyrics and the repetition of that, same with this song with the lyrics from Exitensio. I mean, the main right. song I'm talking about, that is very repetitive, but it's also brilliant in the same way. So it's um, there was some skill involved, and especially with some of those classic attractions and the music that it's hard to replicate and there's a reason they're still classics and are still so popular. Absolutely. The, we know those themes that we can instantly think of if we hear a couple of notes or can hum without even having heard it uh, for a, a while. Those are the all-stars in, in the Disney mix. So, lo yeah, love that you, you celebrated Pirates of the Caribbean. All right. Well, what is your next pick? I only... I've we've already talked about four that were on my initial list, but I have a few more, but I'd love to hear your next one. Sure. And I have two more on my list and then, uh, essentially, a brief honorable mention and an extinct attraction, but I'm going to head back to Epcot because I would like to take us on a flight that is Soren. This attraction launched in February, 2001 <laughs> at Disney's California adventure under the name Soren over California and the Over California title part was dropped at Florida, but the the theme was this, the basically the film being the same, um, and and the music, the wonderful music um, by Joy Goldsmith originally in in the um, score of the film um, stayed the same. But what's wonderful about the cue music is we get, especially when we're loading. So if we're watching Patrick's um, pre-show video, we hear some of the Soren themes. But leading up to that, we kind of get a whole, akin to what we were discussing earlier with Tower of Terror, we kind of get a catalog of, of different pieces. And in this case, with Soren, we have a rich array of film score tracks, many of them related to flight um, or space, and they're often very inspirational and um, upbeat. Um, so everything from the right stuff to Apollo 13 and Contact, um, a lot of the greats in Hollywood film scores like Alan Silvestri, James Horner, James Newton Howard, um, they're all on display here. And um, what's kind of cool about Disney theme parks is, you know, there are those original Disney tunes, but then sometimes we, we get kind of other pieces from different parts of society, like we we're talking about those jazz tunes from Tower of Terror. Um, they're incorporated, and I love the music for the Soren Q. Um, there's a few Disney pieces in there that we that I'd uh, be happy to mention as well. But um, whether they're sweeping or militaristic, they really emphasize what Soren over California originally represented was different aspects of visiting California, which whether it's the um, the base in San Diego or just the beauty of Yosemite, 
um, the scores, uh, the score selections, I should say, in the queue uh, really reinforce some of those themes and, and that ambiance. Yeah, that was the other one I had in my initial list um, because that was another one of the first ones I thought about. Because first of all, you think, yeah, about the original score from Jerry Goldsmith. And I actually found it interesting the more I kind of read up on it, like you mentioned, seeing that, you know, because you could easily almost think about the music in the queue and things is just more all Jerry Goldsmith. But it's, you know, it's not like you mentioned. I mean, it's music from Contact and The Rocketeer and Right Stuff and so many different movies that but they all fit and they're all kind of this grand orchestral music that all fits with under the theme of what they're trying to do especially with soaring over california and i know that um soaring around the world bruce broughton did the score for that i know i'm talking about the ride and did a good job but i feel like i have such an affinity for that original score for soaring over california which actually was playing in california i think when the parks closed but um it's just so well done, and it's it's like, a, again, emotional Disney, like you explained. That score totally fits, and all the cue music just kind of, and the exit music, too, builds up to that so well. that All the music from Soren's cue and then from the whole steps is one that if I'm just, like, doing some work or whatever and looking to calm down and just have something on in the background with no lyrics or anything, I have that queued up because it's perfect, especially some of the cue music is perfect for just kind of being there it makes you feel good it um it fits with i think i wrote down in my notes it fits so perfectly with soren the attraction better than mm. almost any other cue music and it just rolls you right in by the time you get in there i really i hate standing in that queue in florida though that part near the end but once you get past that part and you actually get to patrick and the music's playing and everything like by the time you get on the attraction you're just so ready for it and there's a reason people especially with California that would clap at the end because you're just feeling so powerfully by it. Oh yeah. And yeah, you, you captured a lot of what I was thinking too. And that this is a piece of music, whether it's the full roughly hour long cue loop of the different scores, or if we're looking specifically at the um, pre, if you want to call it like pre-show um, music, which is ultimately a different rendition of um, the Soren score by Goldsmith. Um, it's all just, um, it's just such utter joy to listen to. And, and Goldsmith's um, music, especially not the main film score, but um, leading up to it, the load music, um, it's, it, it's something that I would listen to maybe like right before I go to bed, or if I just want to be totally Zen and calm, it's kind of, it's very much aligned with the main score as we know but it's stretched out a little bit right so the notes are you kind of hang on to them a little bit longer because it wants to ease you into that state of of calmness and um it's oh my gosh it's fantastic yeah i mean it's i i love the music so much and um it makes the attraction really the theme song and the cue um, I try not to wait in it, but I love the way that it sets you up for it just with, I mean, the music itself um, just really gets you ready for the experience. So it's, it's a great choice for sure. Yeah, I, I will being more of a Disneyland person in terms of my experiences and um, frequency. I, I love how the cue music fits a little bit better in California um, with 
because if um, have you have you been to that version, Dan? Yes, I the queue okay. there. I'm when I'm talking about the queue, I'm talking about Florida because the queue in California right. with right. The, the airline hangar exactly. it feels more open, and it just the theming there is so much better. It fits right. really well. Yeah, I totally agree, and I think part of that too is because some of the um, I think, for instance, I could be mistaken. I feel like there's a picture on the wall of Chuck Yeager. And of course, he's one of the um, famous individuals who's depicted in the right stuff. And we hear a bit of that score um, as we're waiting for the cue. So I feel like as a collective, it works a little bit better in California. But nonetheless, the overall just exhilaration that is also very much present in leading up to the attraction in Florida um, really helps paint that picture of just being totally ready to go. And um, I think you mentioned the Rocketeer earlier um, in terms of other Disney-specific pieces that if listeners aren't familiar with, um, if you've ever seen the movie Return to Neverland, that's the Peter Pan sequel. There's um, a cue from Joel McNeely in there. Um, Bruce Broughton, we talked about him earlier. So there's a, a little snippet from the rescue, Rescuers Down Under. So there's just a really nice hodgepodge. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it's great. And um, there's a reason I put it on the list, too. But I, I can do another one. I've got another good choice if, you, if you're down. Yeah, let's go for it. Okay. Well, really, I could almost just say, hey, Frontierland's great. But I'm going to try a little more specific. And I'm going to say Big Thunder Mountain Railroad. And I feel like this is another one where I end up, I feel like using fast passes more and would almost like to spend a little more time in the queue, especially because they've added a lot of interactive elements and built that up with some neat touches that I admit I haven't explored as much as I would like. But I feel like the background area music for that with all the instrumentals of kind of your Western standards, like your Big Rock Candy Mountain or other things like that, where they're playing in the background, again, that all sets the mood so well. And it combines a lot with the fact that it's just such a stunning area with the you know, the giant butte coming out of the ground and the whole the look of you can, in fact that you can see the train going around and you're kind of up in that little elevated, almost deck porch area. The area, it just all fits. It creates this setup that it's not even just like we're still in the same part of Frontierland. We're in a very specific part of the Old West, almost like your John Ford Westerns and such. And then the music, you can picture someone kind of sitting off to the side playing on like a banjo or something. It's just, it all sets everything up where again, like Space Mountain, the attraction itself is super fun, but it's, it's cool, but it's really all the other elements, the little sets that you go by, the train, the sounds, even when you get up the guy saying, you know, it's the wildest ride in the wilderness, it all creates that right immersive feeling where it makes everything so much more fun because you've gone through that experience and kind of been transported. And I think the cue music in an underrated way, I think, really does a good job of setting you up for that that fun and that adventure. Again, adventure is a big thing, I think, with a lot of these. Absolutely. And I'm trying to think back. I have to believe there's a lot of use of the fiddle um, in the cue music as well, if I'm not mistaken, too. 
Oh yeah, even like I mentioned, Big Rock Candy Mountain. Now that I'm thinking about it, there's a fiddle in that where it's you know it's playing. It's prominent actually more than anything else. Like Splash Mountain more has the banjos as being prominent, but right. here it's more the fiddle and more like there's almost like I thought about mentioning both of them together because it's like they're next to each other, but you have one that's more that kind of bluegrassy kind of Georgia sound going back to Song of the South, and this seems like it's more tuned to the old West and kind of yes. the frontier and they're right next to each other. And the fact that, I mean, again, you could make an argument of how do they fit well in, in each place and all that, but both of them, the music fits super well with the individual attraction throughout the attraction, but especially in the queue where you never think you don't feel jarred by it. You, you're in your own little spot and somehow with um, the architecture and the way they set up both attractions, they still kind of fit together, but the music is so different, and that that's good about Big Thunder and the fiddle. That's a that's a great call out because that shows how it's so different. Right. Well, and I love how you pointed on pointed out the nuances associated with the type of music because you're right, they're neighbors, and they are you know two of the big two of the three big mountains in Magic Kingdom. But what what's really lost, I think, in a lot of spaces are those distinctions across different neighboring attractions in terms of the music. Um, you know, obviously they they need to tell a common story if they're in the same space, but um, sometimes um, I think of, for instance, Test Track and when Ellen's Energy Adventure existed, like there are distinctions, but they're all kind of, they're both kind of futuristic. Um, and, and you talk about like the little differences among Big Thunder Mountains and Splash Mountain and, and that's what Disney storytelling is really effective in, in that they have their unique elements in a common space, but they all tell you about, okay, you're in the Wild West or, or per Splash Mountain, you're in the Deep South, but ultimately you're in um, more or less territory that had not been accessible to, to a lot of folks. So yeah, it's interesting in thinking of those distinctions in music and how the Disney musicians kind of reinforce that storytelling through those um, instrumental choices. Well, yeah, and you think about Splash Mountain even with um, the differences between the music at Disneyland versus the music in Florida, where Disneyland, you're in Critter Country, and there's a lot more kind of orchestral, and it's a little different, or even jazzier big band music, where in Florida, they they still have some of the same songs, but some of the background is more fitting in Frontierland and those differences um, with the same attraction, even they have to fit it within that space. I feel like that's a really good example of how be, with them being in different lands, you can't treat the attraction the same way. And that stand, that's another way just with Frontierland where even within the land, they're different. So I love stuff like this and I feel like I'm learning new things every day that I didn't know a few years ago that I always kind of, it probably impacts you subconsciously. I'm sure it does, but you don't know, you don't even notice the fact that you're being led so well by these choices. Absolutely. And I think this is what Disney is so effective in, in not only um, presenting these themes and uh, themes, both figuratively and literally, but also kind of exposing you to different, I guess, lines of, examination inquiry like oh you know i resonate with insert style of music here because i really enjoy this attraction and then it leads you on a path 
of like, oh, I'm going to find some music that's in the same vein or genre. So um, Disney's had that effect on me in terms of its music. And um, I, I like how you, you also pointed out the distinctions across the same attraction, but in different parks. So very cool. All right. Well, I think you have one more before we get to extinct and honorable mentions, right? Yep. And I'm going to be very quick in talking about what's ultimately a very zany attraction. It's one that uh, and it didn't come to me instantly and in belonging on this list, but I ultimately really wanted to um, spotlight this because it's a classic example of taking familiar themes, but spinning them up a little bit. And, and that's Toy Story Mania or Toy Story Midway Mania at uh, Hollywood Studios. So we, many of us absolutely adore the Toy Story films. They're among my absolute favorites. And I, I have listened to Randy Newman's scores for particularly the first two films endlessly. And via this attraction, we get the instrumental versions of You've Got a Friend in Me, Strange Things, When She Loved Me, I'll Go Sailing No More, uh, Woody's Roundup, you know, the, the, the five classic songs from the uh, first two films, but they are presented in really cool arrangements by, um, and adapted, I should say, by composer Jennifer Hammond. And we also get some cues from the first two films. Um, there's the cleaner theme where, uh, Jerry from the Jerry's Game short comes in to, to repair Woody, and we hear that very um, cool theme um, woven into the cue music, and there's others as well, but a lot of it is upbeat. It complements the playfulness of the cue, like you're in Andy's room. Um, it's, it's just a fun mix of very upbeat music. There's some wistful, thoughtful pieces in there too, but I, I just love it because kind of like what we've talked about with some some um, other selections where we're hearing some tunes but they're kind of mashed up into a collective and ultimately um, I think Toy Story Mania is a, a nice example of having a more modern attraction that carries to uh, kind of incorporates some pieces that we have heard before but are presented in a slightly different way and uh, that's what I love about it. Well, that's a, that's a great choice. You know, I hadn't even thought about that, which is sad because when you describe it, I'm like, oh, yeah, that totally fits, especially given that they're trying to, you know, it's a really upbeat thing and you're doing going through the games and everything during it. So even during it, they're trying to kind of make you feel like, wow, this is a zany carnival setting. But you're right. They do that in the queue so well. And this is one of those attractions, too, where you do to it, especially before recently, its popularity, we would end up doing it once each time. So I feel like now it's different. The next time we, we were planning to go to California and I was like, this is great. I really want to, you know, ride it more because, you know, we would only go to the studios, not as much. And you, we we're going to be there longer. And I think things like this are a perfect example of how they set it up because yeah, the whole time you're going through that queue and when you get to it, you have, you're already feeling that this is kind of, yeah, it's like going walking through a carnival, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean that more like the fun parts of a carnival, not, not the other parts, is what right, they're doing. Right. And then using the Toy Story music, that's a, it's a really good choice. Yeah, it's it's a blast. And I think also, too, in terms of thinking, the cue and the theming is fantastic, um, much more so than California Adventure. But 
the loading area, um, I feel like, is one of the neatest loading areas of many Disney attractions because you're really shrunk down to the size of a toy and you have the the great lighting in there that, um, you know, you see the big door of Andy's bedroom. It's just really cool. And the music just puts you in that upbeat, positive mood. So there you have it. All right. Well, um, where do you want to go next? Do you want to do a few honorable mentions? Yeah, let's let's point out a couple. And mind you, it's worth knowing on my end, Pirates was one of my honorable mentions. So um, <laughs> I will not talk about Pirates again. But yeah, how about you start us off and listing a couple of them, Dan? Sure. I mean, there's, you know, I didn't know what to do with Haunted Mansion because I feel like the music is great. and But I almost think of once you walk in that door, you're in the ride. Like, I feel like all the um, setup and everything is all part of the attraction. So I know there is some right. music outside in the interactive queue, but to me, I didn't include it, but I felt like I had to mention it because the music is so good. Even from the start, it creates the right mood. So I love Haunted Mansion. If you just said attraction music, it would be near the top, but I feel like the queue, it's like the whole thing. I mean, once you get through that kind of, part under the umbrella or you go through the interactive queue then you're in and it's all pretty much the attraction i want to mention buzz lightyear just because i feel like that yes. march and the way even like especially when you're in the fast pass queue and you're walking really fast and it's just like dun, 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 and you're walking and you're like moving really quick and you're like it pumps you up in the right way where it's just it's very simple again but I think it works really well for what they're trying to kind of convey with that attraction as you walk through it. I mean, I could hear it in my head and I haven't like sat down and listened to that at all because like the music is different. It's not that same thing if you listen to like the official albums. And then I just wanted to mention they're not really cues because I feel like Flight of Passage and Navi River Journey don't really have great like cue music, at least from what I've experienced. But I feel like Pandora's background music is almost like the cue music for those attractions because the music in the Pandora area is amazing. So I wanted to call that out just because I feel like those that music really sets you up to go on those attractions. It all kind of comes together as a cohesive whole. So I wanted to mention that too. All great. And I'm glad uh, Animal Kingdom got a little bit of love because I know otherwise <laughs> um, we really weren't paying much attention to those. And yeah, I, I totally agree with you too on the point about uh, Space Ranger spin and it being... Um, some of it's a little bit, I think, militaristic even in terms of the flair and just yeah. very um, exciting. And uh, I feel like I'm being recruited for a, a cool mission. So very nice all around. So uh, I, I just the only one that I wanted to highlight on my honorable mention just to, to keep it concise is, and I think you're sensing a theme here in terms of that I really love compilations of great film scores and uh for me <laughs> uh disney's hollywood studios star tours the adventures continue john williams um immense library of popular themes um on notably disney we've talked at length about john williams and, and star star wars so i, I won't uh, necessarily be contributing anything new here but i think it's worth noting that um the the star wars music is legendary and it's being um, illustrating exciting new ways, particularly, uh, I haven't been to Galaxy's Edge yet, but I've listened to particularly um, his his main five-minute suite, and it's incredible. But um, I do want to mention with Star Tours how um, over the past three decades that it's been around, it, it continues to be invigorating and really illustrative of the um, just 
magic of what Star Wars epitomizes. Yeah, and oh, Richard Bellis, the the chime is <laughs> yes <laughs> that do 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 do. Yeah, um, I talked to him over email um, and did a short interview with him, and he had he kind of worked on you know some of that music. I mean, arranging and things for John Williams, but that right. that little five second chime is one of those kind of nice little things that really sticks with you and that's technically in the queue so um that's a great choice yeah and i mean the star wars music and even for star tours that plays such a role in setting you up and then on the attraction itself it's um so that i love that choice i could probably listen to that chime endlessly so i'm glad you mentioned it and (laughs) and gave bellis um a shout out because my gosh i think for anybody who's been to a Disney theme park, and if you just need to listen to a couple of notes of something that was not from a song, that would probably be among the most recognizable little cues. Yeah, and he was involved with with Tower in some in certain ways, like with the music, the actual music for that, and with um, Indiana Jones in California, and a lot of stuff that we've kind of either talked about or circled around. So his music is... He doesn't get a lot of attention because it's not like he has like an album or his music isn't all over all the albums. But um, another great composer to mention who's been involved with Disney. So um, Extinct Attractions. Do you want me to go yeah, with, yes. with? OK, so I have two. Go right ahead. One I already mentioned earlier, which is Horizons, because I feel like when you walk, I could still feel like you walk through those um, automatic doors and you immediately are hearing New Horizons from George Wilkins the song playing through as you walk through. And then you get to have like, they have those little windows to the little destinations of Mesa Verde and Brava Centauri and sea castle. And then the music is playing and you have the voice comes on. It's like, Oh, Mesa Verde, you know, and all these things, it sets you up so well. And the interesting thing is that a lot of that sets you up for the second half of the attraction. Like you get to the second half, like, Oh, that was there. But beyond that, the emotional side of it, like you mentioned is just perfect. It, sets you up i mean it's emotional there's a reason that so many people people love world of motion people love other attractions from epcot but horizons i feel like especially in the age of the internet when a lot of people who've never ridden it are discovering it is just continues to grow and the music is a huge part of it and i also want to mention the um cue song for mr toad's wild ride at walt disney world which um I remember as a kid, it's this really basic switchback as a kid waiting in that line because we wait in that line a lot for some reason. And there's just this song over and over just sings the same part. It just goes like merrily, 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 merrily to no over and over and over again. And it drove us mad. Um, but I want to mention that because it stuck with me for this long. That attraction has been closed for 22 years. And just the fact that now I think at Disneyland, they just play the instrumental. If I know correctly, they don't just play that same cue over and over. But man, that song, you you stand on that cue for 20 minutes, that song's going to hang out in your head for a few years. So those are two I wanted to spotlight. Oh, I love those. And so from a timing standpoint, my first trip to Walt Disney World was in February 1999. So it was shortly after both of those closed. Oh, so Ouch. T- I know, right? I I realized in retrospect, oh, that's so harsh. But uh, yes, particularly Horizons, I, I've listened to that score many, many times. And it's just quintessential Epcot. And it's just, it, it puts a smile on my face because um, I'm not sure if you listen to this, Dan, but there, 
there's folks who have compiled some of the main themes like the Mesa Verde theme, but like on a one hour loop or a three hour loop, and you can just listen to the few minute segment of from the, you know, from the attraction. And it's just incredibly um, soothing. Oh yeah. There's, there's so much there. It's, it's wonderful. And I'm sad that, I mean, that you weren't able to, because I, I went, I'm a bit older. So I went as a kid in the eighties, but then we, the last trip, like I hadn't gone for a few years, like, um, and then I went in like May 98, not knowing of course that we went on horizons and the journey to imagination original bunch of times. Cause, um, it wasn't super crowded then. Right. And I think I remember both of those like so clearly because we wrote them like that late and because we wrote them so much. So like at the time I didn't know, Oh, those are both going to close in less than a year. And, um, so it was, we were lucky because I don't know if it would stick with me as much just because before that it had been three or four years before that. But I, um, yeah, I mean, horizons, I could, I've written like, 5,000 word blog posts about it. So I won't, I won't go on at this point of the podcast, but it's the music is um, some of the best things for an attraction Disney's ever done. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that, even if I didn't personally experience it, but uh, through, thankfully we live in the age of YouTube and so many other platforms for these, um, you know, really transportive um, versions of, you know, these classic attractions, high quality too, um, and behind the scenes stuff and historical context. I'm going to stay in Epcot. Um, and I was thinking about this because there are two um, spaces in Future World that I absolutely loved growing up. One of them is Wonders of Life. And kind of like you, I experienced it um, right before its closure when it was in se seasonal status. Um, although I, um, I went through um, the pavilion many a time prior to that point as well. And I just fell in love with Cranium Command in particular. However, um, I want to highlight uh, its ne direct neighbor, not Horizons, but on the other side, which was a uh, universe of energy, Alan's energy adventure, um, Bruce Broughton's score. Um, it's, and, I, and again, I'm thinking of, of the, the main attraction scores, brilliant. Um, and, and there's so many, wonderful pieces to that depending on if you're um in the tra traveling theater or with the dinosaurs etc but i'm thinking of the moment when i kind of have q as an asterisk because it's basically when you were to load um to get loaded onto the attraction and you, you would hear broughton's music um so it's kind of like um the final stage of the queue i should say but uh very much reflecting the sweeping and wondrous feel of the score um, of the main attraction score, and there's pieces of it um, in that um, that main portion right after you watch the pre-show, but right as you're loading onto the attraction, it's just um, epic and and wondrous. That's the the word I thought of immediately. Yeah, that's a great example, and um, spotlighting him because that's that's that music sets really drives the whole attraction. But just to talk about the cue it sets you up for what you're going to experience. Cause I know that I going back and looking, I'm like, man, the original universe of energy was really cool, but it kind of had a reputation for being a little boring or a little dry, even though it had a cool music ending. But so I think they really, when they did the update wanted to 
really kind of give that impression like this is fun, this is an adventure, and that music, and I don't mean that in any type of cynical way, but that music really sets that up where it's like, okay, you're going to go on this ride, fun adventure with Ellen and Bill Nye and everything, and I think, but it also kind of has that magic to it too, where it feels like it's an adventure, but it's also has that future world aspect. So that's a that's a great choice for an extinct attraction. Well, and, you know, it's very fitting that, you know, um, among your two picks, you know, one being in Future World and, and the one I want to highlight being in Future World 2, there's something about Epcot Q music that's just absolutely fantastic. <laughs> oh, man. And if we start talking about attraction music, I guess things attractions, oh, or even attractions themselves, you could go for a while longer. But um, the, they, they did such a good job in the 80s and even in the 90s with attraction music and cue music and, you know, people like Bruce Broughton or even further back, George Wilkins and Buddy Baker did a lot of arranging. I mean, there's so much Epcot Center had so much amazing music in it. And a lot of the cues were so well done, but even the updates they made like Ellen's energy venture, same deal. So not that it's terrible now, like I mentioned test track 2.0, but um, there was just some great stuff at that time. Yeah, yeah. And I will point just because uh, you kind of brought all that up. I will point listeners if you want to hear more about uh, Epcot music past and present. Uh, Aaron Walls had joined me on an episode uh, in which we talked about um, essentially Epcot in, in all different facets and, and the music of different spaces within Epcot. So yeah, lots of Epcot love here. But I think we have reached the, the portion, Dan, where we're going to ask you some common questions that I ask of all of my guests. I know we were joking a little bit about this beforehand. So um, I'm sure there'll be interesting answers. So there's going to be three music related questions, two standard book related questions, and one random Disney question that is different with each and every guest. So Dan, are you ready? I think so. I was telling you beforehand that um, I've listened to your episodes, but my brain completely forgot this part. So this could um, get ready for some dead air, people. That's all I'm going to say. Now, I'm, I'm ready. I'm excited. Sure thing. And obviously, I will be cutting out the dead air. So <laughs> no worries about that. No worries. So on the music front, so what Disney soundtrack did you listen to most while growing up? Oh, boy. You know... I have to really go back to car trips to Florida. Cause like with my parents, I was the youngest of three when this was in the eighties, we would all get in our car, no SUV or anything, just three of us squished into the back, um, riding on long car trips. And my parents had cassette tapes and some of them were just like Disney music over and over and over. And, um, I don't know if there was one, soundtrack but i would say the songs that really stuck with me were the songs from mary poppins like there was a few on there like um step in time and spoonful of sugar and now of course i've i've seen mary poppins a lot with my kids but at the time on that tape i mean there was things from others too but those songs really stuck with me and um you know that that movie is about as quintessentially disney as almost any movie ever so that's one i heard a lot as a kid very good and speaking of songs that have stuck with you, but more recently, the second question is what Disney song most recently got stuck in your head? Oh, interesting. You know, I love the soundtrack to Moana. 
recently and um mark mancina and did that with like lin-manuel miranda and others and the song we know the way is one that my daughter really likes that soundtrack too but that song especially is i feel like the best like song that really embodies that movie and it got it's been stuck in my head a lot i won't sing it for listeners but i think that one too also has a lot of lin-manuel miranda but it's just arranged well and just um just a really good embodiment of what that movie is. Very good. Yeah, I, I enjoy that quite a lot, too. Uh, next music-related question is, what Disney film do you feel has the most underrated music? Oh, boy. Um, underrated music, Disney film. I really like the music from the movie Tomorrowland. I feel like that movie doesn't get a lot of love, so I might just be using this as an excuse to talk about it. But I think the whole movie, like I keep talking about selling adventure and all that. Well, first it has like the music from the 64 World's Fair. But the whole time it, it's really, you know, it's a story about, you know, futurism and uh, there's a lot of things about being good people and everything and which wolves do you feed. But a lot of it is a road movie. And I think the music does a good job. It has some futuristic mu- music, but it also just does a nice job of kind of um, presenting that like idea of a road movie. And Brad Bird directed that and also his Mission Impossible the same way. There's just a really good um, sense of kind of how to put music together in his movies. I know he's not the composer, but his movies really move. And I feel like Tomorrowland does that. You know how to make this host happy because I absolutely love the score for Tomorrowland. I never would have expected <laughs> you or any guest for that matter to to select a movie where um, songs weren't prominent, but rather just the score itself. So yeah, Michael G. Kino's score is incredible. And um, and mind you, he also uh, wrote the score for The Incredibles. <laughs> and, yeah. And <laughs> uh, oh gosh, you know we so. Uh, months ago on notably disney we had uh jeff Cricka, the orchestrator of tomorrowland on the podcast and that for me that was um very much a dream he he compo- he actually composed the imagineering story doc on disney plus yeah when, when i was telling him about tomorrowland and as listeners um can also check back um i just was adoring uh talking about some of the main themes from from that score in, in which he orchestrated. So yeah, very nice pick. <laughs> oh, I didn't even think about that when I, when I picked it now. And if I, I talked to the producer, uh, John Walker on my podcast, just because I, I wanted to talk to Brad Bird, but I think, or David Lindelof or somebody, but, but John had a lot of cool stories, but for me too, same sort of deal where I was just like, I'm talking to this guy who like is Brad Bird's like number one guy. And we're talking about Tomorrowland for 45 minutes. Cause I love that movie. And I think um, the music definitely is a big part of it. Very good. Yeah. That's awesome. I I'll have to revisit that episode. So book related questions, Dan, what's the most recent Disney book that you've read? Well, it's really recent. I actually read, just finished a few days ago, I finished uh, Kevin Rafferty's book, Magic Journey, which is about his entire career, um, which, um, awesome book. Like, if you're, I mean, he's, 
the thing is, I knew he had worked on, you know, Radio Strings Racers and Cars Land, Toy Story Midway Mania, and a lot of things. But he worked on so many things. We're talking about things going, you know, back to especially the 90s, 2000s. He even talks about the Tiki Room under new management and all that. But Kevin's story is really fun. And, you know, starting as a dishwasher at Disneyland and his enthusiasm. This is one of those books where it's like his enthusiasm jumps off the page. So if you want to know, I mean, a lot of cool backstories. And he also talks about a lot of other Imagineers. Like he's really generous with his book and talking about a lot of other people that he enjoys. So it's good that way. But I um, I flew through it. It's a pretty long book, but um, a lot there and just a, just a fun read. Fantastic title. Yeah, that was that was my number two, probably my number two favorite book from last year. And it would have been my top choice if it hadn't come out the same year as Chris Merritt and Pete Doctor's uh, Mark Davis book, which is um, an absolute must in any Disney collection as well. But yeah, my gosh, Kevin Rafferty, amazing talent as both a, a writer and um, just a show writer and an author. So great. Uh, next question for you is if you could write a Disney book on any topic, what would it be about? Oh man, you know, that's a good question. You know, I think, you know, there's a part of me that says, oh, I'd love to write one about all of Epcot center, but that's, that's insane. That's going to be too long. It's going to be too unwieldy. I'm going to try and cover every single attraction. It's not going to work. So let's, I'm going to say, I would love to write a book about spaceship earth itself like the um origins of it like with ray bradbury and the original script and how that came together and then going through each version going through all the different um little touches they've had all the people they worked with and um to like go through the scenes in Egypt and the caves and Rome. And they work with so many historians and really just tell like, like an oral history of that attraction. I would love to do it. I've written a lot of blogs. I kind of been writing blogs where I go through spaceship earth, but really that's like probably I've covered 2% of what it would, it would be in a book. So I would love to do something like that. Just, I mean, the problem is of course, finding all this info and whatever, but just, almost any type of big history of some type of iconic attraction. There've been some great ones of Haunted Mansion and Pirates that have been written. I would love to do something like that, but for Spaceship Earth. Hey, well, there's 98% more to cover. So it's, it sounds like your enthusiasm is very much palpable. So I, I know I would be picking up that book. So uh, next on your docket after you write, after you uh, produce your next hundred episodes, right? Yeah, and I'll I'll get you know I got a lot of time at home, but there's a few other things going on. But someday maybe maybe that's the um the thing to do when I've retired and Disney's on like version seven of Space of Earth or something at that point. Yes, exactly. So perfect. Well, your random Disney question is this: it's kind of staying on the topic of cues. What is your favorite themed Walt Disney World? attraction queue so in terms of the theming itself hmm let me think for a minute here you know what's so interesting is i was trying to figure out like what were my favorite cues in epcot a while ago and there's like almost none that are worth anything there's so many just kind of really basic cues so i don't think it'd be anything there um 
I'm trying not to just repeat something we've already said, you know, but, um, so, you know, I don't know. I'm not sure what my favorite is, but I will say I, I do want to give more attention to some cool things in the animal kingdom. And I'm, I have not been through flight of passage enough to talk about that, but I know that queue is incredible. I just don't feel like I'm as much of an expert on that. So let's, I'll say expedition Everest. It's not my favorite maybe, but I would say I just want to spotlight it because I feel like there's just a lot of cool things in that little museum. They have the wilderness explorers like game you can do where you get the books and you go through and you get all these stamps. And there were some things where you had to find all these different items in the expedition Everest like area right there. And I found that so interesting because I've like blown through that so many times. And when you actually stop and look at like all those little displays and everything, there's just so much there. So I know the queue itself is a pretty simple like switchback setup, but I think the little details, I like that they spotlighted so many small details there and made something pretty cool. And what's a fairly small area, I've never really waited in like a long queue there, but I like what they did there. And I feel like that is a good example of a lot of cool things with details they do on the walking trails and a lot of parts of the animal kingdom. So I, I'll say that just because of two, I feel like we've already covered some of the other good examples. Like, Oh, I could say space mountain or I could say tower. I want to say something different. So let's say Everest. That's great. It's funny. You actually mentioned that. Cause I was thinking, Oh, you know, we didn't really talk about animal kingdom, but some of the immersive environments there are, are really wonderful. And yeah, with expedition Everest, you know, they, they brought these artifacts all the way from different parts of Asia. And it's so, it's so immersive and the, the background music too, which we didn't talk about um, really um, reinforces that narrative of that you are um, in this uh, kind of rural village. It's just really fantastic. So great pick. Oh yeah. Yeah. There's like a doc of TV show. I think they did for discovery channel or somewhere where it's like Joe Rody and them all going to Asia and finding stuff right. that, I mean, it's very promotional, but it's still, it's kind of a cool thing if you can find it. Yes, well, that's that's what YouTube is for, because all of these different Disney specials of decades past have landed on there in some capacity. Uh, let's wrap up, Dan. How can listeners follow your work and or get in touch with you on social media? How can they listen to the Tomorrow Society podcast? Let's let's make sure everybody knows. Sure. Well, the best place you can just go to tomorrowsociety.com where that's the blog. And that also is where you can find info on the podcast. Um, the podcast is called the Tomorrow Society podcast. It's on, you know, all the big providers, Apple podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, all of those. So if you just search for that, you can find it. Um, I'm on, I have a Facebook page and Instagram. Those are both the Tomorrow Society. And then a Twitter is at tomorrow SOC. And, um, yeah, I'd love for you, if you listen to the show or if you just want to reach out, um, as you can tell, I like to talk about theme parks. So, um, so this has been really fun. Thanks a lot for having me on. Oh, thank, thanks for coming on, Dan. This was a, a really rich discussion and, uh, it was particularly fun to talk about some of our common selections, but I felt, felt like I learned a lot too along the way. And that's, that's always representative of a really worthwhile dialogue. And hopefully this encourages listeners to really once once we can get back to the parks to even further appreciate the music that goes into the cues that lead up to some of our favorite rides and experiences so thank you again dan oh thanks a lot it was a blast 
And thanks again to Dan Heaton for joining me on Notably Disney. I'm sure as you were listening along, you were thinking to yourself, Brett, Dan, how could you have ever left off the cue music for, insert attraction title here? Well, I encourage you to send me an email at notablydisney at gmail.com or follow me on Twitter. That's at Reports, And, you know, follow Dan, of course, as we shared his social media information too, because we'd love to know what you would rank as your favorites or which are maybe some underrated pieces of cue music, which are some examples of forgotten ones or those that are extinct, right? So bring those points into the conversation. Let's continue it beyond this episode and really just get transported back into those attractions via listening to those tunes you know youtube and so many other platforms offer the ability to virtually experience that so i encourage you to utilize this time when we're all away away from the parks to have that space and feel centered in the process thanks again for joining me on another episode of notably disney i invite you to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review follow me on twitter at bnachman reports that's b-n-a-c-h M-A-N reports and be among the first to find out about the release of new episodes. I also encourage you to send me an email to notablydisney at gmail.com regarding your thoughts of the show as well suggestions for content. So until we turn the page on another chapter, I'm Brett and thanks for listening to Notably Disney. Notably, Disney is not affiliated with the Walt Disney Company or any of its subsidiaries. Consequently, the perspectives and opinions expressed by the host and guests are strictly theirs and do not represent the views of the Walt Disney Company and its employees. The main purpose of the Notably Disney podcast is to offer information and critiques about the Walt Disney Company.